Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and we're so honored to have you with us today if it's your first time. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Today is part five of our series, Stress Out, and the final week of our series, Stress Out. I hope this series has blessed you and has helped you. Uh, we, we know, I know that we all deal with so many different kinds of stress and stress from so many different areas in our life, and we've tried to attack the most common areas of stress through this series. We talked about the weight that life brings and the way that burdens us with stress. We've talked about our time and our relationships and our money. And today we're going to talk about the fourth highest area of stress, and that is work. Stress at work. The way that we stress at work, coworkers that stress us out, bosses that stress us out, deadlines, meetings, meetings about meetings that stress us out, inefficiencies that we can't change, pressures that are just a part of our job that we always feel, high intensity moments in our workplaces, all of these things that cause us stress in the workplace and our goal ultimately is to get the stress out and bring some joy in to the workplace. Now, I've titled this message, Take This Job and Love It. There was a song called Take This Job and Shove It. I ain't working here no more. And today I want to flip that and turn it around. We're going to talk about how we can, how we can take this job and love it. Maybe you can relate to King Solomon and what he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. He said, And so I hated life. And so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. That's such a fancy way to say, I hate my job. I hate my life. It feels like none of it matters. King Solomon had all this stress related to work that he just started to believe that life itself was meaningless. A recent study found that 80% of workers experience stress. This isn't surprising. 80% of people experience stress. The other 20% are lying about it. It says 25% of people feel like screaming or shouting at work. That means that one in four of us are walking around holding in a scream all day long at work, just trying our best not to let that thing out. 10% of people are concerned about a coworker becoming violent. One in 10 people are worried about a coworker becoming violent. And 14% of people say, I'm that coworker. 14% of people felt like striking a coworker in the last year. They are worried about some workplace violence coming from themselves. Work is stressful. It brings about stress. In my life group, we talk about the message every week and, and, and different things about it. And uh, we've been talking about stress over the last few weeks. In the second week, we talked just about the different areas and ways that we stress. And almost everybody in the room had stress related to their work. And I think this paints a clear picture that if we're going to let joy into our lives and get stress out, we're going to have to learn how to take stress out of the workplace. But there is a problem with that, is that work is one of those things that we don't have a lot of control over. We have to work. 
We need a job, and often the things that cause us the most stress at work are things that are beyond our control, whether it's the natural pressures of the workplace or, or a boss or a coworker that we don't have the authority to get rid of. They're just going to be there, or, or different environmental factors that are caught. There's just, a lot of times, there's just not a lot we can do, and so I've spent a lot of thought and prayer over this this week, and, and in the weeks preparing, I've spent probably more energy and research and prayer over how, how we can, how I could talk about getting stress out of the workplace than any of the other areas. Some areas are pretty cut and dry when it comes to getting stress out of our money. A lot of times it is as simple as some very practical, tangible, hands-on things that we can do to change the way that we view and spend money that will take the stress out of our finances. But work is different. When we get up on Monday morning, it will be Monday morning. And we will have to go to work, and we can't always control that. And so what I want to offer this morning isn't as physical as it is spiritual. And I love to be able to offer physical things that we can do, uh, that we can take home and that are practical and we can put into practice right away. I love to be able to offer those kinds of things. I like to have lists about lists, about lists for things that are practical. But the reality is a lot, uh, sometimes... We try to make things physical when the problem is more so in the spiritual. And I think often we want a physical answer when all that we can find is a spiritual one. And so I can't take the physical stress out of your workplace. But what I can do is offer you something in the spiritual that I believe will change the way that you receive it, that you experience it, that you understand it, and that you go about every single day. Because the Bible never talks about life being easy. In fact, the opposite is true. Over and over again, we're warned about the difficulties of this life. I think one of the misconceptions of Christianity is that we believe that when we, or we want to believe that when we become a Christian, life gets easier because we're doing what God wants us to now. The blessings are coming. The ease is coming. Life is going to get better. It's going to get easier. We're going to have an easier life, but we are never promised an easier life. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. There is trouble in this world. There is stress in this world. There is pressure in this world. There is weight in this world. But it is in Jesus that we have peace. And I believe that the way of a follower of Jesus, the, the thing that we get to experience, the blessing that we get above any physical blessing is a spiritual one. It is a, is a peace in our very souls, in our spirit. It is, a, it is a feeling of shalom, of rest and peace and an experience of knowing that you are found and that you are serving in the life you were made to live that makes it possible for you to have all the things and troubles that this world crashing in around you and yet keep moving forward with peace in your heart and a smile on your face. And so we're going to talk about the spiritual this morning. And I believe if we can just, honestly, it's just some simple spiritual shifts that we can make that no matter what stressors the workplace brings to us, we can enter into that place with peace in our hearts and with joy in our hearts and with satisfaction and, and an understanding that no matter what comes at me, I can still rejoice and say, this is the day the Lord has made.
In Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to sit today. This is, this is honestly it's the simplest message of this whole series. In Colossians chapter 3, I think Paul says some very basic things that can shift the way that we view the workplace and can help us experience more peace and more joy and less stress. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. I believe that the key to getting stress out of our workplace is to every single day making a habit to set our hearts and our minds on things above. To set our hearts and our minds on things above. And I think this is something we need to do every single day. The most practical thing I can tell you is that if you want to be able to experience the joy that Jesus says that he had, the peace that he says he brings, and the joy that his Holy Spirit offers, you need to make a moment every morning to unite with his Spirit and to center your heart and your mind on things above. Now, I know that our schedules are crazy, and, and I don't know what your morning is like. Maybe you got to get up and get kids ready to get them to school because for some reason school starts at 6.45 in the morning. Or maybe, maybe you got to get up and that's the only time that you're able to uh, go to the gym and work out in the mornings. Or, or maybe for you, it's a, it's a different habit that you have that makes it difficult for you to spend time in worship and in prayer and in Scripture. But I would encourage you to reorder a little bit. However you can, whatever you have to do, find a way to reorder just to find 15 or 20 minutes to begin your day by setting your heart and your mind on things above. I think we set our hearts on things above through worship. I believe worship is the language of the heart. That by taking a moment to worship, it re redirects the whole position of our heart for the rest of the day. If the first posture you take in the morning is a posture of worship. I believe it could direct your heart on things above, your attention on things above for the rest of the day. I, I, I'm telling you, it just doesn't take a lot of time. I keep some headphones in my closet and I make sure every morning, that's where I go, I get up and I've got to get up. I've got to make sure that there's a certain time I've got to beat because that's when my, my four-year-old is going to, her face is going to magically appear in my bedroom. If I'm still sleeping, it appears one inch away from my face. Daddy, you sleeping? No. And, uh, and all, I've got to make sure I get up early enough and I, I order my schedule enough and I'll go into the closet and I put on my headphones and I just make sure that no matter what, I'm going to start in worship. I'm going to posture myself before anything else in worship and keep my attention on him. And then I set my heart on things above through worship. I set my mind on things above through scripture study and prayer. Through scripture study in prayer, I begin to study God's word, and I see what's in there for me today. And, and I think you need to pick a plan and read it every single day. It doesn't have to be long. If time is your biggest concern, then find one that's just a couple of verses and a devotional. And I believe it will still set your mind on things above and change you for the rest of that day. We have to start in a spiritual place if we want spiritual blessings to fill our day. I think we need to have a moment of prayer every morning that is honest and genuine. And pr prayer, is just because it's longer, doesn't mean it's more spiritual. The best prayers are the ones that come directly from your heart that are honest and that are true, that are filled with worship, and then that are filled with moments of conversation between you and the one that made you. And it sets your mind 
on things above. My life exists in the spiritual, not in the physical. My joy exists in the spiritual, not in the physical. My peace exists in the spiritual, not in the physical. Before I feed the physical, I want to make sure I feed the spiritual. And just like my breakfast from yesterday did not carry over to today, I believe that the way that we feed ourselves spiritually and set our hearts and our minds on things above has to be something we renew each and every day. I think it's something you need to do seven times a week. I think it's the way you need to start every single day. If you want to bring stress out of your workplace and stress out of your relationships and stress out of every area of your life, I think the first place to begin is in prayer and worship and studying his word. Every time I have a meeting with somebody and they're talking to me about anything, stress or, or issues or problems that they're trying to understand, my first question is always, tell me about your prayer habit. Because I just think it all starts in prayer, in the way that we meet God in the morning. Center your, center your morning by, by meeting God in a place that is spiritual, by spiritually centering. And here's what happens. It says in verse 12, he goes on in verse 12 and says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, and I think the language he uses is intentional. He says, clothe yourselves. When I was in the third grade, I discovered that my friend John Edward Griffith wore his, put his clothes on for the next day right before he went to bed. I, it was the weirdest thing. I remember I did a sleepover, and I walked in there, and John Edward, it was time for bed, and John Edward goes over to his drawers and starts putting clothes on. And I said, no, you're doing the wrong thing. It's pajama time. Pajama time, John. And John Edward puts on his clothes. He says, no, this way I'll be ready to go when I start my day tomorrow. And as a third grader, honestly, it made a lot of sense. As an adult, it's ridiculous. I clothe myself in different clothes every single day. I usually put the same pants on that I had on yesterday, if I'm being honest. I wash them like twice a month, okay? That's fine. Don't judge me. I didn't come here for judgment today. But I clothe myself anew every single morning. What would happen if just as though we, we know that it's normal for every single day to wake up and clothe myself physically, if I were to wake up every single day and learn to clothe myself spiritually, how much different would my workplace be if I put on compassion every single day that comes from his Holy Spirit, kindness every single day that comes from his Holy Spirit, gentleness, patience, all of it, if I were to put it on fresh every morning through worship, prayer, and scripture study, it would change my entire day. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If you have any of you as a grievance against someone, what would the work workplace stress look like if we had less bitterness and less grudges and less anger and more peace and forgiveness and patience? And after, over all of these virtues... Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The kind of love that comes from the spiritual fulfillment of worship and prayer and scripture. The kind of love that we don't always naturally have for our coworkers. Some people are hard to love and require an extra helping of the Holy Spirit. But what would it look like if on a daily habit we began to clothe ourselves in his compassion, his kindness, his humility, his gentleness, and his patience. The Holy Spirit is the one who fills us with these things. And we need to meet him every single day. I believe it's got an expiration date. That we can't set our hearts and minds on things above on Monday. And expect it to hold until Friday. 
I think if we do this daily, in verse 15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you've been called to peace. And be thankful. See, I think his peace exists for us, that we can live in this life, no matter what difficulties or troubles we experience, with peace in our hearts. But it can't come from the physical. It has to come from a place that is spiritual. And so we have to meet him in the spiritual places. And it's just, it's just such a, I know it's one of those things, it seems that's too simple. Just waking up every morning and worshiping isn't going to take all the stress out of you. It's not going to take all the stress out of your life. But it's going to offer you a peace that is unlike anything you've ever understood or experienced before. I promise you. Just try it. Just test me. Try it. Try it. Just, I dare you to go all in just for a season, for a time, for a year. Give up every single day and clothe yourself in the spirit and just see how it affects you and your day in and day out. I believe we can experience a peace and a joy that is unlike anything this world has, no matter what life brings us and no matter what outside pressures come upon us. And I think that's the biggest way that we can do it, but I also think there's a few other things that can help. So let me give you, I did, I'm not going to come on a Sunday without a list. Come on, somebody. And so I got one, one list for us of just a few things that I think will help, and then we'll move, uh, and then that's, that's it for this morning. First, I think, if you want to experience joy, no matter what your circumstances, you need to discover your purpose and make a difference with your life. To discover your purpose and make a difference with your life. And I would say you need to do something in your purpose at least weekly. It needs to be something that is regular and consistent. I think the happiest people I know don't have better finances or jobs or possessions than the rest of us. I think they've simply found their calling and a way to live in it weekly. I've heard it said that a career gives you something to live on, but a calling gives you something to live for. I believe you were created with a purpose, that you have a calling on your life. And once you discover what that is and begin to live in it, you will experience greater peace and joy and satisfaction than anything you've ever known. Our growth track is designed to help you discover your purpose and find a place to use it right here in the context of the local church. The Bible says that the church isn't ministers and pastors and staff doing work and everybody watching. Anytime the Bible talks about church, it's a collective thing. It's all of us discovering our unique gifts and talents and complementing one another to accomplish the mission of the church, which is to go and make disciples of the entire world, to change cities and communities and countries and the whole world with this amazing news of who Jesus is and what he offers. And it's not just something that comes from the mouth of a preacher or from a, a worship leader or a staff member. No, the Bible says we are a body, that we all have an important gift and we need each other for this to work and to make it happen. And I believe that you have a purpose that feeds into that body. And it's bigger than that. It's bigger than what we do on Sunday. Some, sometimes your, your purpose and, and your vocation, they align and they're the same thing. But it's not always that way. It's not that way for a lot of people in the Bible. And yet, we can still live in our purpose in a way that is consistent each and every day that fills us with a sense of peace. We, get our, we have a, a simple spiritual pathway at the Gathering Church uh, that, we, that people would know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And we believe that everyone here is somewhere on that path. 
And our goal is to help you take your next step on it, is to, is to, to walk with you in it. We are all on it as well. And we, we want to join you in leading you to either know God or, or find freedom from all the things that have held us back or, or to discover our purpose so that we can make a difference. And we get those four purposes, those four steps from the four cups of the Jewish Passover Seder. Now, I'm not going to give you the whole lesson today. But the four cups of the Jewish Passover Seder comes from a passage of promises in Exodus chapter 6. And the first cup is the cup of salvation, to know God, to, to be saved by him. The second is the cup of deliverance, to find freedom, to be delivered from the mindset of slavery that we have even once we've been freed. The third is the cup of redemption, to be redeemed and set back to the purpose we were created with. And then the fourth cup is called the cup of halal or the cup of praise. And it describes a spiritual feeling of praise, a, a joy and a peace inside that, that can't be touched by anybody or anything, an absolute joy that we experience no matter what life brings us. Paul, throughout his writings and, and in the book of Acts, he, he lives in this cup of praise. There's always these hard moments and these hard times pressing in on him. In Acts chapter 20, he says, I do know that it won't be any picnic for the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly and clearly that there are hard times and imprisonment ahead. He's talking about a place that spirits called him to go, but the Holy Spirit has said there's going to be a lot of hardship waiting there for you. But then Paul says, that matters little. What matters most to me is to finish what God started. The job the master Jesus gave me of letting everyone I meet know all about the incredibly extravagant generosity of God. Paul says, listen, it doesn't matter to me what happens in this life. I know it's going to be hard. That matters little. What matters most to me is living in the purpose I was created with. No matter what pressures he met. It says he, he could be pressed on all sides, but not crushed, Paul says. Because he knows what his purpose is and he's living in it. See, I believe once you discover your purpose, once you know your why, and you're able to make a difference in that why, you get to drink from the cup of praise, that you get to experience halal in your heart, praise in your heart, joy in your heart that supersedes the pressures that life crushes you with. Discover your purpose and make a difference in it. And if you don't know what that means, the best place to start, we try to make it as easy as we can. The best place to start is in growth track to continue that conversation. Second, it says, realize my vocation can be my ministry location. I thought you could use a good rhyme for your Sunday after Thanksgiving. My vocation can be my ministry location. So sometimes I think we separate our Christian calling from the rest of our lives. I'm a Christian and I go to church and I do church things. I even read my Bible at home, but when I go to work, I'm at work. I don't want to bring religion into the workplace. I don't want to bring all that spiritual stuff into the workplace and make people uncomfortable or get fired or something. I'm just, I'm not going to mess with it. I'm going to keep that separate. Or we just naturally separate Sundays from the rest of our lives. We have a tendency to want to separate the spiritual from the physical, but these things have to exist together. And just because you're at work does not mean you're not doing ministry. In fact, the apostle Paul had a day job. We don't know how long he had a day job, but we know that we had one. And we know it was boring because he only mentions it once in all the writing that he did. In Acts chapter 18, he says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. 
There he met a Jew named Achilla, a native of Pontus, who'd recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. All of that is just to say Paul met a man who he and his wife were Jewish people, and they made tents, which was also what Paul's job was, and so they formed a company. They worked together in making tents. I don't know what kind of tent we're talking about here, if this is like a nice camping tent. Maybe it was a marketplace tent. I think tents were used for a lot of things back then. Also, not really sure. It's not important. Paul had a job, and he had co-workers. Now, these people, they're, they're working with him. And then it says, every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Paul was an evangelist and a church starter and builder. And so what he was most passionate about was this thing that he did on Saturdays, where he was going in there and, and leading people to Jesus and, and preaching and, and worshiping and bringing people closer to him. That's what he really wanted to do. But every other day of the week, he was making tents with Achilla and Priscilla. And we know that he was doing ministry there as well. Because in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, we see Achilla and Priscilla again, except now they're not just Jewish tent makers. They're leaders of a church in Ephesus. They have a church that they're leading out of their home, that together they're a part of bringing new people to Jesus. This tells us that while Paul was making tents with them, he was also telling them about Jesus and bringing them into relationship with him. Your ministry location and your vocation can be the same place. And the, and the how is simple. Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. People in your workplace every single day are just joking about their biggest hurts. They're, they're standing around the water cooler laughing about how they don't get to see their kids on Thanksgiving and Christmas. They're standing at the water cooler talking about how difficult their relationship is with their parents and everybody agrees and rolls their eyes about it. They're standing at the water cooler expressing their depression without using those words. They're standing around and, and they're making little comments here and there and you can see it. And we all just move along and act like it never happens. But I'm saying as a follower of Jesus, the, the way that we can do ministry in our workplace is very simply to listen and pay attention and see people and find a need and fill it, and find a hurt and heal it. One of the things that was so unique about Jesus' ministry versus any other teacher in his time was that Jesus saw people. He heard people. He would go to somebody, and instead of just offering them something that was obvious, he would ask them, what do you want me to do for you? Or what do you need? And it's that compassion that was so compelling to people. I was in the Coast Guard for a time, you may not know. I was in the Coast Guard for nine years, and during that time, I, I had a, a lot of experiences like that where I, I, would, I remember people joking about the biggest hurts in their lives and just kind of breezing on by it, and everybody agreeing, and then kind of moving on. And I remember thinking that we try so desperately to make things that are not okay seem okay through humor or casual conversation. And we had this guy at the unit that I worked with. His name was Jacob. And Jacob had had a hard life. He'd lived on the streets for many years before he joined the Coast Guard. He had a, a really difficult relationship with his parents. He'd experienced abuse of many kinds. And he had had a, a failed marriage that ended very violently, poorly. He had kids that he wasn't able to be a part of their lives. And he was just hurt. And I remember one day we were in the bullpen, we were in the, 
in our office and, and everybody was joking around about stuff and it was around the holidays and he was just joking about how, how much it stunk that he couldn't be with his kids. And I remember watching him laugh about that and move away and just I see, seeing the pain in his face. And Jacob was a pretty scary guy. He had, he had these giant arms that were covered in sleeve tattoos and he, he looked like a bulldog. He had the posture and position of a bulldog, of a pit bull ready to attack. And he had, he had this face that looked like it was angry all the time. And people were kind of nervous around him because they didn't know if he would physically bite them or not. And I just remember thinking, this guy, this guy just is hurting. And so I went to him one day and I said, hey, man, can I buy you lunch tomorrow? Can I take you out to lunch? And he said, mm, yeah, you don't have to pay, but yeah, sure. You know what, Red One, if you're buying whatever, man, let's go. And we went, we went to this greasy burger place. And we sat down, and I just said, Jacob, I just want you to know that I, I, I listen to all the ways that you joke around and things that you say about your life. And I think you've experienced a lot of pain, and I think you're hurting very badly, and you don't know where to put it or what to do with it. Well, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. So what? <laughs> and we talked about it. And he began to talk a little bit and open up a little bit. And one of the things that he said was, listen, man, I just feel like I feel like I don't, I've, I've never really had hope. I feel like life just sucks, and this is the way it is, and always will be, and we just got to put our head down and get through it. And I just said, man, what if I told you that you don't just have to put your head down and get through it? What if I told you there is hope and joy and healing and peace for you? And then I told him my story of the way that I've been depressed and suicidal and, and hopeless and hurt and how I entered into a relationship with Jesus and found freedom and healing and joy and peace. And at the end of that lunch, we were sitting in his car in the parking lot, and he just said, do you think even somebody like me could be a Christian? And I said, yeah, I think so. And he said, what do I need to do? And I said, I don't know, man. Have a good one. Got out of the car, went in. And no, we, we right... <laughs> Right then and there, we prayed, and, and Jacob entered into a relationship with Jesus. That Sunday, he wanted to come to church with me, and we went to church, and he, the pastor, we sat in there one Sunday, and the pastor said, don't, be a, don't just watch, be a participant, join this mission, and Jacob said, okay, what, what, what can I do? I want to be a part of it, and, and I said, obviously, security, and he said, well, I love kids. Can I do something with kids? And I said, oh, you're going to scare the parents, but all right, let's try it. And for a year, Jacob served in our nursery, and we called him the baby whisperer. He, he would put these babies in his giant tattooed arms that no one else could calm down, and they'd fall right to sleep. And he loved it, and it gave him joy and peace and purpose. And it's, I'm just telling you this story to let you know that it, it, this is the United States military. There's not just, just a lot of macho attitude associated. And there's a lot of places where we feel like we don't have permission to speak into people's lives. But it is, people are so used to being overlooked and ignored that for you to just take a moment and look at them and say, I see you, I hear you, and I have hope for you can make a greater impact than you could ever begin to imagine. And it won't take away all the stresses of your workplace. But if that's what you're looking for and where your eyes are, 
every day when you go into work, how you can find a need and fill it and find a hurt and heal it, then these people don't become burdens to you anymore. They become people that you get to help release burdens for. And it changes things. Let your vocation be a ministry location. And then finally, work for God and not for people. Work for God and not for people. This is at the end of Colossians 3. Paul talks more about this. And he says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And I, I just think when, when we have all this pressure because we're trying to impress people or, or move up in our jobs so that we can be seen by people or be affirmed by people or get accolades by people or, or we're trying to serve with imperfect people and it brings all this pressure and stress on us, but I just... I think we weren't made to work for people. We were made to serve the one who made us. And I, I understand this. I experienced this. There's all this pressure sometimes on church planners to, to, to gain influence and position and, and grow a church as fast as you can and, and do it so that people will see and feel that sometimes. But I'm not doing this for people. My job isn't, isn't to be seen by people or noticed by people or... No, it's to, it's to help point people towards the one that they should be serving and seeing and noticing and worshiping and adoring. I just think if we can learn to focus our attention, even at work on him, it changes things. Because here's the deal. At, at the end of our life here on earth, I, I'm going to stand before him and have to give an account for my life. And he's not just going to say, John Mark, tell me about church and how you were at church. I'm not going to say, John Mark, tell me about your Sundays and the way you spent them. He's going to want an account for every single part of our lives, for the way that we, we lived at work, for who we served when we were at work, the way that we parented our children, the husband or the wife that we were. He's going to want an account of our life. And so don't work for people and, and meet the expectations of people. Everything that you do, do it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. Because when I give an account to him, I want to say, God, I gave it everything that I could. I wasn't always perfect. I made mistakes. But I gave it everything that I could because I wanted to bring honor and glory to you. And I want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter into all I have prepared for you. Work for God not for people. Start this thing very simply. You just need a, a moment every day to center your heart and your minds on things above. Wake up and worship. Just start your day. God, I just worship you, Lord. I lift up your name. You're so good. You made this day. Everything in it is yours. Every person that I meet is yours, Father. Every, everything that I encounter, God, comes from you. And so I just worship you. I honor you. I glorify your name. I, I ask, Lord, that you would be glorified in everything that I do today. I worship you. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Just worship him 
and then meet him in prayer. Heavenly Father, today I just want to give this day to you. I need your Holy Spirit to just amplify within me today. I need the gifts of your Spirit. I need the compassion that your Spirit brings, the gentleness, patience, kindness. God, I need the self-control that you offer today. I, need, I, want to, I just want to go with you. I want to be a part of whatever you have planned today, God. I just want to, I want to set my heart and my mind. I want to fix it on you this morning because God, this is your day. Today is the day that you have made. And so I will rejoice and be glad in it. No matter what happens, what, what comes from the outside, whatever pressures press in on me, whatever troubles come my way, Lord, I want your peace and the peace that comes from Jesus because you've promised it. And I declare that promise on my life. And Study his scripture. I'll tell you that I think prayer and worship are the most important parts. I think you need to study scripture because inside are his promises and the praises of his people and the story of everything that he's done for you. But don't neglect that moment of prayer and worship. For 1,500 years, people couldn't even read. And if they could read, they couldn't take a Bible home. The church was built on prayer. Pray. Lord, I just need you today. Take a moment to pray. Discover your purpose. Make it a part of every day in your life. Every week, do something that matters as a part of your purpose. Take a moment every single day to look for people that you can serve, that you can bring hope and life to. It's not hard. You don't need to carry tracks around. Just know your story and the way Jesus changed you and share it anytime you can. And then I would just say, be reminded every morning, that he's the one you serve, not anybody else. And it'll get the stress out of your life by bringing in the joy and the satisfaction and the peace that only he can offer. If you're in here this morning and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, you've never experienced this kind of peace that he offers. And, and you feel the storm and you feel the pressure and you feel the turmoil and the stress and the emptiness. I want you to know that his peace is available to you today. That You don't have to do anything to step into it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. He's done everything for you. That today you can begin to live this way. Today you can step into a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, would you just say this prayer with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed, very simply. It's just a simple prayer. It's like a, a wedding vow. It's just saying, I will. I will accept the gift of, of freedom that you've offered me. I will accept the gift of forgiveness of the cross. I will accept the life that comes with the resurrection. I accept it, and I will, and I'll follow you from now on forward. And then every day after that is just living in that promise. Just say this prayer with me. Jesus, I thank you so much for the gift of peace that you offer me. I believe in you. I believe that you are who you say you are, that, that you came for me, that you were sacrificed so that I could be forgiven and that you were resurrected so that I could have life. Forgive me of my sins today. Forgive me of trying to do it on my own. I offer everything I am to you. I give you my life. I will follow you with everything that I am. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.